you are being spied on. And you probably don't know it, and you'll never believe who's doing it and how. Talking about that coming up tonight. Unpaid traffic tickets. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll talk about it. And a wrong number that turns into a romance? Maybe. We got that and more coming up. Welcome to the Jay Sheldon Show. Happy Saturday and happy new month. It is the very first day of October, Halloween month. Halloween, end of this month, of course, 31st. And uh, lots, lots going on. Um, We've got a couple of public holidays here in Malaysia. Uh, Deepavali is coming up at the end of the month, 24th, 25th, something like that. And uh, also, I believe it is the Prophet Muhammad's birthday on the 9th, something like that. Anyway, a couple good public holidays uh, coming up, so we'll have some days off. And uh, yeah, we got all that and more. Of course, Florida has just gone through and is uh, still suffering the after effects of uh, Hurricane Ian. <laughs> Hurricane Ian. Uh, yeah, it's... Uh, it's not nice. It uh, wrecked havoc on a lot of the west coast of Florida, uh, up and down. And now I understand it may be reforming and headed, headed into South Carolina. I haven't had an updated uh, weather forecast lately, but uh, South Carolina, North Carolina, and those areas, watch your butts, folks. Oh, my God, it's obligated orb. Wow. You're back. You know, I saw you hanging out on Discord um, I, I because I sign in there every day for work. Our company has a Discord channel that we meet, have meetings in and everything. Anyway, I, and I see you. I get reminded of you every day when I boot my Discord. Anyway, uh, it says, obligated, it says, yes, fortunately, my family was not affected too badly. That is good news. I'm glad to hear that, uh, obligated orb. And it is nice to see you back in here on the live stream tonight. Wow. <laughs> All right. And good news about your family. I hope everybody is indeed safe. And uh, uh, it's me. Why don't you say hi? I am saying hi. Hello. Hi. And hello to your family. And I'm really happy that they're all safe. Uh, fantastic. Uh, I assume they're on the West Coast of Florida somewhere. Anyway, obligated or great to uh, great to have you back on on our live stream here we are live on facebook we're live on rumble.com of course oh on discord yes i will i will i you know i'm not so big on how the chat works on discord i just do the video and the audio and stuff in the meeting room so uh, if i can figure it out i'll send you a hello Anyway, uh, yeah, we are live on uh, Rumble.com. That's our main channel. We thank all the folks at Rumble who have had amazing success. Uh, all kinds of people over there. Russell Brand, Dan Bongino, Tate's over there. Uh, it's, a, it's an amazing channel. If you don't have an account on Rumble, you need to get one. You don't know what you're missing. It's fantastic. Rumble.com, it's free. It's a... It's like YouTube, only better, and they don't censor anything. You can, I don't care if you're on the left, you're on the right, you're in the middle. Whatever your opinion is, you if you want, you don't have to upload videos. You can if you want. But you can just go there and check out the videos that exist, including ours. Just look for The Jay Sheldon Show. Click subscribe. Thank you. Accounts are free. Subscriptions are free. No cost. 
Also, we're on twitch.tv, of course, uh, Obligated Orb, in fact, is uh, checking out. Uh, visit Stephen Cord, sir. We're having a trivia at 11 on Stephen's stream. All right, I will uh, see if I can't pop over there if I'm done with my podcast editing and everything by that time. So, uh, yeah, indeed, we will, uh, we will check that out. Um, yes, and also... Since I mentioned it, we are a podcast, and you can find the audio part of our live show, Monday, Wednesday, Saturday, on all the podcast platforms. Just search for The Jay Sheldon Show and click follow or subscribe. We're on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, Google, iTunes, Geo7, wherever you find your podcast, you will find us. And uh, we appreciate the subscribes and the follows. That's all also, of course, free. One thing that is not free is keeping my little girl in food. Time for a Miko update. Miko update. <laughs> I'm not kidding. She's eating me out of house and home when she decides to eat. She's had this attitude about her food lately. I think she's not that big on the fish stuff. Because we use, uh, what is it, Call of the Wild, I think it is. It's uh, it's good for her tummy. She's got a very sensitive stomach. So we were on Canon, but then there was a big shortage, so we had to switch. The vet recommended this. She's good with it. Her tummy's good with it, and uh, she's doing really well. In fact, this picture was taken just under an hour ago. She was downstairs while I was setting up the live stream, and uh, <laughs> there she is. Uh, doing her pose. She's striking a pose as she loves to do. I love that with the little crossed hands in front. So cute. She does that naturally. I, I didn't pose her like that. She just does it. It's so ladylike. Anyway, <laughs> she uh, we switched her over from the fishy stuff like they have uh, herring and salmon. It's mixtures of two different foods. And we switched over to the wild boar and pork, which she loves a lot. We just gave her that tonight, and she ate it all up. And uh, so there's a bunch of different varieties, and uh, she's she's pretty good with all that. Um, Miko, my dog was not a fan of Call of the Wild. Yeah, uh, for some reason, Miko is. The vet recommended it. I checked the ingredients. It's natural. It's healthy. Um, and she's doing well on it. But I, I know there are, you know... She can go crazy. Like I said, somehow, some reason, she suddenly got off the fish kind. Anything with salmon and some, there's salmon and turkey or something and uh, herring with, I don't know what the hell else. But if it had fish in it, she didn't like it. And she used to. It's just suddenly one day she goes, yeah, I'm not going to like that anymore. So there you go. Anyway, she's doing great. She's hanging out downstairs now. Our neighbors are incredibly noisy tonight. We have a, a, a Airbnb next door to us. 99 times out of 100, their guests there are really great folks, and they play with Miko and everything. Tonight, they're okay, but there's like, uh, I think there's two families staying there with about 50 kids between them. And, uh, <laughs> Anyway, uh, there you go. All right, our uh, our Miko update, before we get too far away from it, is brought to you by the good folks at BarkBox. If you are in the U.S., U.S. territories, or Canada, you can sign up for BarkBox, and you will not be disappointed. These folks are amazing. Every month, it's a subscription service. You can sign up for just once, but you can go for six months, 12 months. And the longer you sign up for the less expensive it is. Every month, you will get a themed box full of dog toys, dog treats, and a dog chew. 
and they are adorable. Your dog, I promise you, will love them. Whatever whatever size you have, you can check small, medium, or large as far as the size of your dog, and the toys will adjust accordingly. And also, if your dog has any allergies, there's a list there. You can click, uh, you know, fish, beef, chicken, whatever, any allergies your dog has, and they'll make sure you don't get that. But it is really great. It's not terribly expensive. And if you sign up for... Uh, BarkBox using our special link. That's the top link in our show notes. Easy to remember. BarkBox.com slash Miko. M-I-K-O. If you go to BarkBox.com slash Miko, you will get a free month with a multi-month subscription. So you sign up for six months, you get seven. Sign up for 12 months, you get 13. You get an extra month free just for using our Miko URL. BarkBox.com slash Miko. M-I-K-O. Check it out. If uh, Again, if you're not in the U.S., U.S. territories or Canada, they don't ship internationally yet. They're working on it. But if you do have one of those forward shipping services, then you could use that. And no matter where you are in the world, you could still get uh, signed up. BarkBox.com slash Miko is the place to go. And you can check out all their specials. You use our special link and you will get one free month when you sign up using our link if you have a multi, uh, multi-month subscription. All right, cool beans. Well, our topic, our headline tonight is that you are being spied on. And who's doing the spying and how they're doing it? The government, I'm talking to my U.S. folks right now, the government is not supposed to be able to violate any of your constitutional rights, including your right to free speech. And so consequently, they can't go and demand that Twitter or Facebook or YouTube censor you because that would be against your First Amendment right to free speech. However, this is from the Bongino uh, report, uh, Bongino.com. And uh, the link is in our show notes. I can't encourage you enough to check out both the Bongino report and the uh, Dan Bongino show. He's a brilliant guy. He does an amazing show five days a week, a podcast and a video show on Rumble. And uh, I am a true fan. I never miss a show. Dan, we love what you do. Just keep doing it. Anyway, uh, this uh, from a report on uh, from John uh, Sullivan, DHS, Department of Homeland Security, and the State Department using private entities. Let me just scroll down a little bit so you can see that headline a little better. I guess you can't. Uh, Using private entities to target millions of social media posts for censorship. Now, like I said, the government can't do that. So what do you do? You get a third party to do it for you. Hmm. According to documents obtained by John Sullivan's Just the News, the Department of State and Department of Homeland Security working with four organizations that they awarded with millions of dollars for censoring millions of social media posts that they allege contained misinformation, which normally would mean information that goes against the government, about the 2020 election. The four organizations included the Stanford Internet Observatory, SIO, University of Washington Center for an Informed Public, (laughs) the Atlantic, oh, the Atlantic Council, nice, 
Digital Forensic Research Lab, and social media analytics firm Graphica. According to Solomon, the four groups set up a concierge-like service in 2020 that basically allowed federal agencies like Homeland Security's Cybersecurity Infrastructure, the state's Global Engagement Center, to file tickets requesting that online links, stories, and social media posts get censored or flagged by big tech. So they take these four, these four groups and they file tickets, you know, like number 42, waiting for your censorship, to tell these other companies to pressure Twitter, Facebook, YouTube to censor posts they don't like. This is the government affecting your First Amendment, which they can't do without actually doing it, using a third party. So, in effect, they're just doing it anyway. Solomon, and by the way, John Solomon's Just the News site is amazing. I should have put the link in our show notes. It's easy to find. Just do a search in any search engine. John Solomon, Just the News. Fantastic site. John Solomon does amazing reporting. (coughs) Excuse me. Uh, Three left-wing groups, the Democratic National Committee, Common Cause, and the NAACP, were also empowered, like the federal agencies, to file tickets seeking censorship of content. A DHS-funded collaboration called the Elections Infrastructure Information Sharing and Analysis Center also had access. Solomon notes the extent of the censorship was massive. This was not one or two posts they didn't like that got taken down. It was, as Solomon says, massive. In its own after-action report on the 2020 election, the consortium boasted it had flagged more than 4,800 URLs shared nearly 22 million times on Twitter alone for social media platforms. Their staff worked 12 to 20-hour shifts from September through mid-November 2020, with monitoring intensifying significantly the week before and after Election Day. The tickets that they filed sought straight removal, throttling or labeling of content that raised questions about mail-in ballot integrity, Arizona's Sharpie Gate, and other election integrity issues of concern concern to conservatives. They achieved a success rate in 2020 that would be enviable for baseball batters. Platforms took action on 35% of the flagged URLs, 21% labeled, 13% removed, and 1% soft-blocked, as they say, which means that users had to reject a warning before they could actually see the post. The partnership could not determine how many were downranked. Naturally, the First Amendment is where the big concerns come in here. It is incredible. Courts have previously ruled that its prohibition on Congress passing laws abridging free speech does extend to federal agencies funded by the legislative branch. 
Matt Bentz, the former State Department official responsible for discovering much of the work of this consortium, said it was the largest federally sanctioned censorship operation he's ever seen and likely a precursor to the Biden administration's short-lived disinformation governance board. Remember that crap, which, by the way, is still going on. They just renamed it. It's still happening. And that idiot woman is out. But, you know, whatever, it's still happening. Anyway, this is written by Matt Palumbo with the Bongino Report, Bongino Show. The link is in our show notes. Can't encourage you enough to, to check it out. Uh, read the whole article and subscribe over there to the Bongino Report. Trust me, uh, you will get the truth. You will get the news without all the bias. And it is an amazing site. You've got to check it out. They, uh, they do a fantastic job over there. I am a big fan, if you can't tell. And... Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's amazing, the work that they do. All right, traffic tickets. You ready? Traffic tickets. We got a lot of unpaid traffic tickets in this country. Just in Johor alone. Now, for those of you who don't live in Malaysia, I will tell you that Johor is a state in Malaysia. Malaysia is made up of, what, 14 states. Johor is one of them. Well, the Johor police have logged over 2 million unpaid traffic tickets. Two million unpaid traffic tickets. That's not the worst of it. 77% of them are from Singaporeans. Hey! You Kiasu Singaporean morons. Pay your traffic tickets. Singaporean in... That's since 2014. 70, look at this headline, 77% from Singapore, yet to settle. Oh, there's a picture of the boys in blue and women in blue too, I assume. Wow. About 2.3 million traffic summons issued since 2014 are outstanding, according to Johor Police Chief Datuk Kamarul Zaman Mahmat, disclosed today, that is uh, yesterday. He said the total figure of 109,758 were involving Singaporean vehicle owners. From our records, 23.5% of Singaporean vehicle owners have paid their outstanding summons. The remaining 76.4% have never paid. Overall, the police issued 2.3 million summons. That's a lot since 2014. Uh, so far, 600,000 summons of that amount have been cleared. Ugh. Among the highest category of summons issued, speeding over the limit and failure to adhere to traffic lights, basically running a red light. He told reporters at a joint motorcycle convoy program with Brother Motors at the State Police Contingent Headquarters, I hope that all offenders with outstanding traffic summonses will make payments soon. If you think because you live in Singapore, we can't get you, you're wrong. We will get you. Or if you ever want to come back to Malaysia, then we'll get you. Unbelievable. This is, uh, he said an approach was to reduce the number of road fatalities involving motorcyclists in the southern state, in addition to encouraging motorists to pay the damn summons. For programs convoy, it's going to take participants three days. Uh, they're doing 734 kilometers and donating contributions to the less fortunate, especially orphans and poor along with the journey. 
That is unbelievable. Look at that headline. 77% of Singaporean motorists have not settled their traffic tickets. Singapore, come on. We're waiting on you. You got debts to pay. This link is in our show notes if you want to check out the whole story. I I didn't read the whole thing, of course. I don't usually do that. But uh, anyway, yeah, it's (sighs) time to pay the piper. (laughs) Unbelievable. All right. Have you ever gotten a wrong number, a wrong phone number? You know, you get a call, you answer, hello. Hello, is uh, Fred there? Or you know what happens to me in this country? I'll get a, a, a call from a number I don't know, and I usually answer him anyway. I'll say hello, and I'll get, Ni hao, no and I'm like, oh no, here we go. It's like, I, I, I'm sorry, wrong number. Oh, and usually they just hang up. Well, that doesn't always happen. Check out this story. It's from heartwarming.com, links in our show notes. A man establishes an unlikely 20-year friendship with a woman who kept calling him with a wrong area code. Serious. Just unbelievable. It happened in Florida. Gladys Hankerson called the wrong number. She ended up talking to Mike Moffat of Rhode Island. But apparently it was all God's plan. He purposely connected these two. And, and, catch your breath, they're still in touch after more than 20 years. (laughs) Unbelievable. Long ago, Gladys Hankerson thoughtfully picked up the phone. She wanted to call her sister who lives in Maryland, but she accidentally called the wrong number. She dialed 401 area code instead of 410. What happens next? Shows us, according to the writer here, how God can use anything for his will. Mike Moffat, who is now 46 years old, was the one who received Gladys' call. He politely informed the sweet lady from Florida that she'd called the wrong number. I'm so sorry, child, she said and hung up quickly. Then sometime later, the whole thing happened again. Gladys misdialed Mike, happened on and often, And Gladys ardently expressed her regrets, apologizing every time for dialing the wrong number. Mike, who was in his mid-twenties at the time, didn't get annoyed. Cool guy. And he eventually stopped Gladys from hanging up. He asked her who she was and where do you live? I was like, we might as well get to know each other since you keep calling me. I asked her where she was from and we just started talking. The previous time, this busy youngster took out of his daily schedule to have a cordial talk with Gladys meant a lot to this lady. She was 60 years old at that time. She talked to him about a lot of issues, sometimes seeking his advice, sometimes offering advice. They bonded to such an extent that finally one day, she confided in Mike about the serious crisis she was facing in her personal life. It so happened that Gladys's 30-year-old son had just passed away. Simultaneously, she was going through a divorce. Both the incidents were causing a lot of pain to her, and though she'd called the wrong number, the comfort she got from this total stranger was exactly what she needed for not slipping into a depression. And Mike comforted her with 
his chats. There's a picture of Mike there on your screen. Eventually, Gladys and Mike no longer talked about casual things. There was substance in their talk. It didn't happen just because Gladys called the wrong number. Now this nice lady calling this number in particular to talk to her trusted fan, a friend who comforted and cheered her up. That didn't happen with Gladys alone. It wasn't uh, just Gladys who liked the special friendship. Mike felt the same, enjoyed the talks, and he found them interesting. For Gladys Hankerson, Mike Moffat was no longer a wrong number. Instead, she purposely started calling him every couple of weeks to check in, and these two people started out as total strangers, separated by age and a whole country, and grew into very good best friends. For Mike, the wrong number put another motherly figure expressing tender love in his life. He pointed out with a smile that Gladys would sometimes call worried when Rhode Island got snow. She'd watch my weather almost like my mom does, Mike said. They continued. They remained in touch. And Mike and his family finally decided to take a trip to Florida more than 20 years after Gladys had first called the wrong number and gotten a hold of Mike. He and his wife planned a vacation in Florida with their three kids, and since it was close to where Gladys lived, Mike decided to give her a pleasant surprise by showing up on her doorstep. For over 20 years, the connection was through electronic conversations only, and the bond between the two had developed through the spoken word on the phone. So when Mike arrived out of the blue at Gladys Hankerson's house, the sudden outburst of tender emotions was worth remembering for both. Joy was in the air, and there is Gladys and Mike meeting for the first time after 20 years. Wow. What a story. That is amazing. There's more to the story. You want to read that, check it out. It's from heartwarming.com. You'll find the link in our show notes tonight. It is a kicker. It will restore your faith in humanity. I kid you not. That is such... Indeed, heartwarming is exactly the word for it. Wow, that is amazing. I uh, I met the love of my life on a wrong number. I'll tell you that story sometime. Okay, time for a few little one-offs here. This is from Dennis Andrews. Dennis, stop posting this crap. As I mentioned in the beginning of the show, it is the start of October. It is Halloween month. It is also the damn pumpkin spice everything crap month, luck, gross, pumpkin spice, you name it. They put it in everything. Well, not to be outdone, Oscar Mayer has come up with a new product, and I'm not so sure you're going to want this one. If you're listening on our podcast, consider yourself lucky you don't have to look at what's on the screen right now. If you want to see it, check out the link in our show notes. From Oscar Mayer, they're called Halloweeners. It is a black licorice-flavored hot dog. Oh, I can just taste that and no, not just no, hell no. And it's made with chicken, pork, beef, and black licorice. That's disgusting. I would have pumpkin spice anything compared to... Uh, this is a real product. I kid you not. You can find this on the shelves. 
black licorice flavored hot dogs from Oscar Mayer. Mm, that would be a complete miss for me. Thank you very much. Not going to happen. <laughs> All right. I got one more for you. We always end on a piece of good news or an uplifting thing. And this is it because this is fantastic. It's from Soul Sisters Memorial Foundation. I don't know much about Soul Sisters Memorial Foundation, but I saw this and I loved what they wrote. Uh, credit goes to Donna Ashworth. It's a public post, so I'm not sharing anything out of school that not anybody from the public can see. And it's just words on a page. If you want, the link is in our show notes. I'm sure once you hear it, you'll likely want to check out the link and maybe share it on your own social media sites. Uh, it is absolutely brilliant, and it is written by Donna Ashworth, and I love it. Listen close. If every single person who has liked you in your lifetime, whether they still like you, doesn't matter. If every single person who has liked you in your lifetime were to light up on a map, it would create the most glitteringly beautiful network you could imagine. Throw in the strangers you've been kind to, the people you've made laugh or inspired along the way, and that star-bright network of you would be an impressive sight to behold, with thousands, hundreds of thousands, in some cases, millions of lights. You've done so much more than you realize. You're trailing a bright pathway that you don't even know about. What a thing. What a thing indeed. Wow. If you sometimes get to feeling that you don't matter, that no one cares, think about this. Go look at this. Look it up. Read it again when you get into one of those moods. Think about all the tens of hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people whose life you have affected, who you've made smile, who you've helped. You made laugh or you maybe inspired them. Sometimes you didn't even know that you inspired them. Imagine if all those people were points of light on a map and how brilliantly bright that map would shine. Brilliant piece. Links in our show notes. Share it out on your, uh, on your social media. Well worth your time. Absolutely amazing. All right. It is time, my friends. It is time. What are we doing here? Where are we? Okay, cool. All right, it is time to uh, get on over to our book. And we're going to finish it up tonight. Yes, indeed. Uh, we're reading my children's book. We read classic books on this show. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying this is a classic book. It ain't. But uh, we have done all kinds of amazing. We did Peter Pan, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, The Little Prince, uh, Winnie the Pooh. Uh, you name it. Uh, we've done uh, Alice in Wonderland. And we've got another classic book coming up starting on Monday's stream because we're going to finish up this book tonight, Willie and the Warthog. This is a children's book that I wrote about 12 or 13 years ago. It is. It takes place in Malaysia, but it's written for an international audience. If you are really interested in getting a copy, you can find an ebook or a hardcover copy in a link about halfway down through our show notes tonight. It's from Amazon. And you can order one. 
However, if you'd like to hear me read the book, you can go back about six, seven, eight streams. We're, we've read the whole book up until chapter seven, which is the final chapter and the epilogue, which we're going to do tonight. So that is, uh, that is Willie and the Warthog, and we're going to, where is it? There we go. All right. Um, let's move on to chapter seven from Jay Sheldon's Willie and the Warthog. It was only a week or later when unexpected things happened that changed everything. Being Saturday, along with giving the house a good cleaning, it was also laundry. Now, Baba had been able to save up enough that several years ago he surprised Ibu with a washing machine. The drying, however, still was done on the line outside. Willie and Ambrosius had had incredible fun and adventures, Ambrosius teaching Willie about the jungle and Willie teaching Ambrosius about life in the kampong. On this particular bright, humid morning, Gwen had just finished her second load of washing and was headed for the clothesline. Now, to explain, as much as Gwen loved to complain about useless things, sometimes she had a point. The clothesline was in desperate need of replacing. It was attached from the porch to a big coconut palm tree about three meters, but the rope was frayed and worn, and so it hung way too low. A Y-shaped stick helped keep it up and the clean clothes off the ground. Gwen had asked again and again for Papa to bring back a new rope to fix it but it always seemed to fall down on his list of priorities, and for months, this was all Gwen had to dry the clothes. As usual, when she came down from the porch, she gave a quick check and a snarl in Ambrosius's direction, just to be sure he was still tied up. He was. She was tempted to look for another rock, but the overloaded laundry basket made that impossible. She'd made this trip, and hung these clothes a thousand times. But today, luck was not on her side. Just as she reached the clothesline, the basket blocking her view of the ground, her foot found a root sticking out of the ground. Her left foot caught in the root, and she began to tumble. The basket of clean clothes went flying up in the air. She gave a scream as she flew forward and headed right for the clothesline. As she fell, the Y-stick came loose and snapped. The rope, now very loose, caught her right around the neck. And as she tried to break her fall, she actually wound up with the rope wrapped tightly around her neck. Having twisted her ankle, she couldn't stand to relieve the pressure as the weight of her body slowly tightened the rope. Barely able to breathe, screaming again was impossible. She tried again and again to loosen the rope with her hand, but unable to move much, it was useless. Things were beginning to go black around the edges in her vision. When she looked and noticed Ambrosius watching what was happening, she saw him reach around quickly, and with one bite, he cut the leash that secured him from under the house. 
Gwen still had enough of her wits about her to realize what was happening. She watched in horror as the warthog came towards her. Snorting and growling, Ambrosius picked up his pace as he approached Gwen half laying on the ground. As he got to her, her face crunched in fear. What was he doing? What, what was this face-biting monster been waiting for? A chance? Gwen could smell the awful breath as Ambrosius put his face down next to her. Just then, Bapakai came running out of the house, his shotgun in hand. Ambrosius was right over Gwen now, as Bapa raised his shotgun and sighted in on Ambrosius. Gwen saw the warthog's mouth open, along with the huge tusks and rows of sharp teeth, and she thought, This is it. Bapa lined up his shot, but as he took one last look down the barrel, directly into the face of Ambrosius. Ambrosius looked directly up at Bapakai and gave him a wink. Bapakai almost thought he saw Ambrosius smile. With that, Ambrosius leaned up and with one mighty crunch bit the rope above Gwen's head. She fell to the ground and could sense the sweet-tasting air rushing back into her lungs. Bapakai rushed over to Gwen as Ambrosius, unsure how she would react, headed back to the safety in the underside of the house. Gwen, Gwen, Bapakai asked, are you okay? Yes, now was her reply, although her voice sounded as though she had a very sore throat and an equally hoarse voice. My ankle's killing me. I can't stand, she squeaked out. Don't worry about that. We'll get you to the clinic, Bapakai said. Gwen, looking around for Ambrosius, noticed he was nowhere to be seen. Where's Ambrosius, she asked. Bapakai, never having heard Gwen use his name before, didn't understand. Ambro, well, Gwen continued, he, he, he did save my life. It's, it's possible... I might have just been wrong about that warthog. Bapakai cradled his daughter in his arms, and they both sat on the ground, laughing. Ambrosius, hidden away in the shadows under the house, heard them, and he smiled too. The Epilogue to Willie and the Warthog When Willie heard the story, he hadn't believed it could be true. In time... Gwen would bring Ambrosius's meals, and even went along once or twice to the edge of the jungle with the two friends to watch the fun. It took a long time for Gwen to realize that sometimes people, and warthogs, are not what we think. Willie continues to use his imagination to take him on wild adventures in the small kampong. Bapakai still manages to keep the peace although it's much easier these days. Gwen seems to have really changed. Less bossy, less picking on Willie. And Ambrosius? Well, he's the happiest of all. He now sleeps at night under Willie's bed. The end. And that is The Adventures of Willie and the Warthog.
That was fun. Hope you enjoyed that. If you'd like a copy, ebook or hard copy, you can get one, order it from Amazon.com. It's uh, links in our show notes down below. We also have a Facebook page. You can find out more information about our book, Willie and the Warthog, over there. And that link also is down about halfway down through our show notes tonight. All right. That's going to do it for another Saturday night, Jay Sheldon Show. I, uh, I will see you on Monday. We will start a new book Monday. It's a classic I love this story. I remember watching the Disney movie version of it as a little kid, about seven, eight years old, probably, in the drive-in cinema, the Skyview Drive-In in Torrington, Connecticut is where I saw it. I, I Such a memory. That was over 50 years ago, and I still can remember seeing that movie up on the screen. We'll tell you what it is coming up on Monday in the last half of our show, a brand new book, a classic starting on uh, on Monday night. That's going to do it for us for tonight. I will see you again on Monday. Until then, have a great rest of your weekend. This is the Jay Sheldon Show. <laughs> <laughs>